the night that he came home. That night, he tore a bloody rampage through the world of cinema, and suddenly, trick-or-treating was lethal again. His name was Michael Myers, and the night was Halloween. Welcome to Filmstrip and our Halloween retrospective series. Here to protect you from the clutches of Michael Myers or the Silver Shamrock Corporation are Brian. More fancy talk. And Jay. We are talking about evil on two legs. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the Halloween films. It is time to find out. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And this is our review of Halloween H2O 20 Years Later, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Josh Hartnett, Adam Arkin, Michelle Williams, Adam Hanberg, Jody Lynn O'Keefe, LL Cool J, and Kristen Rand. Directed by Steve Miner, released in 1998 on a budget of $17 million, grossed over $55 million at the box office. So the story on this one, man, is Jamie Lee Curtis approached John Carpenter and the studio, the Akkads, about doing this. You know, I want to revisit this character 20 years later. Where is she? You know, what's it like? And she's they were dead. all for it. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what they said. It's just like, ah, oh, come on. You know, they, they, we're never really dead in a horror movie. And Carpenter <laughs> said, I'll do it if you pay me, you know, $10 million. And they were like, no. <laughs> and so this proceeded without him. But Jamie Lee said, look, I'm in, but I want you to get the Scream guy involved in this. And the Akkads were all about that because, of course, Scream was the rave at the time. So now let me ask you, you've seen Scream, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen those films. Yeah. Okay, so you know the style, right? When I found out that he was going to be involved in this, I was really interested in how that aesthetic would work in a Halloween film. Uh-huh. Yeah, just it was a different kind of horror film. It really had reinvented the genre. And this is the first film, Brian, that I used the power of the internet to follow from inception through release. Um, I was on message boards for the fan site, for the studio site. I was reading the spec scripts. I think I read a couple of early versions of the script that Williams, Kevin Williamson wrote that had like Michael Myers getting chopped up by a helicopter at the end of it. You know, <laughs> I, and, but it's all the same basic idea that Laurie Strode had faked her death and she was at this posh school and there would be this big showdown and all this stuff. And there was a lot of discussion amongst the fan base. You know, how are they going to work in where she's been all all along you know how are they going to do this and essentially they kind of throw out four through six for a soft reboot which i am very happy about i will say (laughs) um i have no problems with them throwing out four through six in fact they could have kept four oh and they did keep elements of four in Mm -hmm. um but yeah as far as everything that happens it's almost like it never did happen which you know i'm okay with because let's just face it, four through six, not the greatest films. <laughs> no, they're not. I mean, I think it can be enjoyed in a certain way, but definitely not what the first film was and not even what the second one was. And no. so, yeah, so good choice, I think, to do this. You know, like I said, Kevin Williamson, heavily involved, wrote a good bit of the screenplay, didn't get writer's credit, but did get a production credit on this. And... It was that team, you know, around this. And like, can we make this 20 year old franchise more relevant to today's audience? And at the same time, can we 
bring back the star of our our first two films, the the focal point of this whole thing, Laurie Strode, and make it work again. And I don't know. I I again, I was totally intrigued by this. I was all into it. It opened on a Wednesday. I remember that. I remember going oh, to church. I remember going to church on Wednesday night, getting out of church and going to see it at like the nine o'clock feature. <laughs> so, and I was in a packed theater. I mean, it was people were into this in my little town, and I ate it up. And uh, I've owned this film on VHS. DVD, you know, all that stuff. So seen it a lot of different times. Uh, but it had been a while since I revisited it before, before we did this podcast. Uh, it had been a little while since I'd seen it. So I didn't remember a ton of it. Um, and it, it was fun to go back and take a look at it again. Um, now, yeah. I know you had seen it, but were you aware of it at all in 1998? Oh, sure. Yeah, I was definitely aware of it. I remembered all the hype around it, too. I never knew a whole lot about the film series itself because I never really watched it. But I know that my wife, she was really into it, and she went and saw it in the theaters. And she was super excited to watch it again when we were doing the, for this review. And so uh, of all of the Halloweens, this is definitely her favorite. Oh, really? Well, that's really yeah. interesting. I've never heard anyone call this their favorite. Most people will say that first one, so that's that's neat to hear. So we'll yeah. maybe we talk about that as we get into this, but Brian, why don't you tell us what happens in Halloween H2O 20 years later? This film opens 20 years after the events of the second film. Dr. Loomis is dead, having spent his life chasing Michael Myers, as his body was never found in the hospital wreckage. The nurse from the first two movies was apparently taking care of Loomis before he died, and she returns home on October 29th to find her home office ransacked. Sure enough, Michael Myers shows up, kills a couple of teenagers next door, and dispatches with the nurse after getting a hold of a file on Lori Strode. We learn Lori faked her own death so that she could go into hiding from her brother. Now working as the head of a private school in Northern California under the name Carrie Tate, Lori continues to live in fear of her brother's return. Her own son, John, attends school where she teaches and is tired of his mother's obsessing over her dead brother. However, Lori's fear becomes reality when Michael shows up at the school and begins killing John's friends. Eventually, Michael and Lori come face to face. Lori manages to get John and his girlfriend, Molly, to safety and decides to return to the school to face Michael once and for all. Lori succeeds in stopping Michael but not satisfied until she knows that he is truly dead, Lori steals his body, drives off the edge of the road where Michael is pinned next to a tree, and in the climax, Lori takes a fire axe and decapitates her brother as the iconic Halloween theme plays. That is the plot summary for Halloween H2O 20 years later, Jay. Wow, good stuff. Lots of interesting tidbits, yes. Indeed, lots to talk about. And You said they hang on to... Really, I should say two scant things from part four. Yes. The idea that Laurie Strode was killed in a car wreck, we find out she faked her death. Yep. And that Loomis spent his life chasing Michael Myers, never fully believing he was dead after the hospital fire because they never found the body. Right. So, you know, if you want to retcon it in your own way, you could say parts four through six are just the fevered dreams of the obsessed Dr. Loomis in a lot of ways, because he really oh, is the be. focal point of a lot of those films. Yeah. And this is the first film where Loomis is not around, which is kind of yep. sad. Obviously, he had died right. uh, before the last film was released. But uh, it's kind of sad because he was kind of a big character in these films. So this is the the first one where he's just... Not a part. They do mention his name, as we said, but uh, yeah, right. Nothing, nothing to do with Mister Loomis. 
No, and we do we do get a voiceover, you know, in the opening credits, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But I want to say right now, though, I did miss him. Not so much Donald mm-hmm. Pleasance. I felt like he was kind of done with all this. But I did miss the presence of that doctor. But on the other hand, I do like the fact that they made this story about Laurie. This was going to be about her, about where she was 20 years yeah. later, and where she is is kind of messed up. I mean, that's that's what we'll learn. Yeah. She's a functioning al- alcoholic. She's obsessive. She clearly is scarred by this this event. No, of course, who wouldn't be? But she is. She has let it run her life to the point that she's going to have to take control of her monsters and uh, fight him off once and for all. So you know, the whole Frankenstein theme is pretty heavy in there. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I like that. I like it too because uh, you know it, it just shows that something so traumatic can alter someone's life so much. And even though she's in hiding and she doesn't go by that name, her son still knows about it. You know, yeah. her son knows the history and what they they're about and everything else. So I think that's kind of interesting that she had told him. I mean, maybe obviously with the Halloween freakishness that she has, that could be why he knows. And she had to kind of explain why she's so leery of that particular holiday and whatnot. Well- that, that's one thing I've always wondered about this movie is she appears really close with him. They obviously have a strong relationship. I mean, the first time we see her, she's freaking out, having a bad dream, and he runs in there to wake her up and give her her medicine, all the stuff. So he and he knows. I mean, he knows the stuff, yeah. like you said. But does he also know that? Like, is he just going along with the whole "I'm faking my death, we're changing our name" thing? And he's just like, whatever, cool with that. Like that always seems strange to me that he would just be down well, for that. Well, I would assume so. I mean, I don't think he might be, he might not be faking his name. I mean, she obviously is divorced. She may have married right. a Tate, right? Mm-hmm. And so he could still be John Tate. She just changed her first name. I don't really know the whole story behind that, but I would assume he's not got a fake name, but maybe he didn't. I don't know. Yeah, they don't explain it. I mean, it's left for us to figure out. It's one of the things in this film, and I will say this, this movie is lean and mean. I mean, it's 86 minutes, and I dare say it's really only about 75 when you really boil it down. I mean, this is this is short. It's a very short and rather simple uh, film compared to where we've been the last time. I mean, geez, man, we had, you know, cults of druids in the bottom of a hospital, uh, <laughs> you know, we got along with, and so at least they got one thing right, which was we're going back to the simple premise. <laughs> and, yeah. But I almost think in some ways though, that is non scream like because scream was pretty elaborate and intricate. If you think about it. And I, I don't know. I felt like there were parts of this film that probably were written at some point that just weren't made. And that's hmm. one of the things. So I want yeah, to ask, I, go ahead. I didn't really feel it was that short, to be honest with you. I thought it had a very good flow and yes, everything yes. that happened made good sense to the plot and that it actually was probably the perfect amount of time for this film for what they were accomplishing. There was no added garbage that wasn't needed, right? Everything that happened served a purpose and that was kind of yes. nice. There was no filler. Yeah, it was very it was very stripped down, non-superfluous, I would say. I agree with that statement. I think you I think you're exactly right. And I think that's what the producers were ultimately going for was if we're going to do this thing, we need to keep it moving fast. I do want to mention this though because I found this is an interesting piece of trivia. It was in the script, the final script, and then they just decided to not shoot it. A, instead of uh, her teaching that class where she's talking about Frankenstein and fate and facing your monsters and all that, that same girl was going to be given a book report about the 
the Haddonfield murders and was going to oh, drop wow. a lot, was going to drop a whole history of Michael Myers and four through six were going to be in continuity because they were going to talk about how Jamie Lloyd had finally been killed by Michael Myers and nobody had seen him in you know, four or five years since then or whatever. And it was going to make her, you know, sick and run out of the room and freak out. And then they decided, and I think wisely, it doesn't make any sense if she's this obsessed about everything her son does and not wanting to let him be his own person, why she would abandon her daughter somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I mean, if, if not having the daughter there, I mean, that just made a good sense not to include that because otherwise why would she fake her death and leave her daughter abandoned? If she's going to fake her death, fake the daughter's death with her and take her with. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it just didn't, it wouldn't make sense to that. So I'm glad they kind of dropped the whole Jamie Lloyd character as far as from this, uh, I would would call it canon, right? And just left that alone. Because, yeah, you would have been like, I mean, what a bitch to leave her daughter to die. I mean, right? Yeah, how horrible, right? It it makes Lori less sympathetic. And let's just say it now, really the only thing that they're wanting to call back to is the first film. There's very little of the second film even in this besides the fact that he's her brother and the mm-hmm. opening bit where they talk about, you know, they never found his body. But that, I mean, that could even itself I mean, be a I, reference I, to the first one. Yeah. I think this film wants to be in league and in line with the tone, the pacing, everything of that first one, way more than the second one. Yeah, I would say that's probably true because they don't really talk uh, much at all about anything that happens in film too, other than, like you mentioned on the voiceover, the hospital piece. Mm-hmm. That's really all we kind of get from that film. And that's okay because the, the franchise is that first film. The second film is just kind of there to tell what happens later on, I guess, or whatever. But um, I, I don't mind that either. And I think it, it flows better that way to just kind of talk about the events. Hey. Of that. I think, what would have been kind of cool though is if they did have that kind of thing on Haddonfield and just talk about that one night. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have been pretty. That would cool have been pretty interesting. Yeah, like if somebody had had done that uh, that book report and then all of a sudden she's like, "Oh crap!" and that's what brings her memories back. Yeah, I'm with you. That would have been cool. Yeah. I thought so, I think that would have been a good idea. That'd have been cool. Well, let's talk about how this film opens though before we get to the the school in California and stuff. The the nurse still living, hanging around, you know, after all these years they get her to come back at Nancy Loomis to play that part again and you know, what did you make of the whole bit that the house had been ransacked and all that stuff that that Michael had finally caught up to her and presumably Loomis to get what he was looking for all this time, which was where's his sister? Yeah, I think I thought it was kind of cool. Now, is she living in Haddonfield? Haddonfield? No, that's a different town. Like they give it a name. I think Langdon, Illinois, okay. something like that. It's supposed so, to be a different town. So he's so- he's trekking across country, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to find this information out. And, and everyone else believes that she's dead, and they obviously believe that he's dead as well. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I I thought it was kind of odd, but it makes sense. I mean, he's got to be able to find her somehow, right? There's got to be a, tra- a paper trail of something. If she actually fakes her death, there's someone who knows about it. And uh, the logical choice is that Dr. Loomis knows about it. 
Right. And that, that is the simplest answer of all the ones that they ultimately proposed. Like at one time, like it was going to be an investigative reporter was doing this big story and dragged all this stuff up. And, you know, he found Michael Myers at, like working at a nun's convent or something. And, <laughs> and like he was working in the yard. And they didn't know who he was. And he, he overheard all this stuff. And like, like again, way too elaborate. And, and then when, you know, Williamson really had any influence, it's like, no, 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 no. The simplest thing is you don't say anything. You just say, we never found his body. We'll drop that line in there. And, and that'll be after the first act where he just shows up and does what he does, which is set up and stalk people. You know, yeah. and, and I loved, you know, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, young. It, I mean, this was right in the 30 Rock days uh, or the third Rock from the Sundays, I should say. And so good to see him. And we get a couple of quick kills. And I like the way he dispatches with the nurse as the cops are rolling up to see, you know, what's going on at the house next door. He's taking her out. <laughs> I thought that was good, too. It was a little bit of a kind of a comic thing that they put in there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the police are like, oh, nothing going on here. And then all of a sudden. And, oh wait a second <laughs> yeah uh, wrong house you know, but no I, I thought that was good too um i i didn't mind it i thought it was a nice little way to bring him back into the fold and it makes sense to the storyline because she was involved in that first film as well so right and the second one, i mean she was there so at the end so yeah, yeah so you know it makes sense to me yeah it's like he's doing a greatest hits tour or something and it's gonna take yeah. out everybody i can't kill loomis so i'll steal the file kill you and these two kids for boot and you know now I'm now I'm on the road and I love how he's like pulling out in a muscle car and the cops don't even hear it. <laughs> you know? Oh, I know, that, right? That is like he's it, got the thing in neutral and just cruising. <laughs> yeah, they they do that a couple times throughout this yeah. franchise. It make it really ridiculous, but <laughs> yeah, okay. But yeah, I'll so, buy it. Yeah, but if, if we go with it though, the opening it cuts to that next day. You get the cops that give us the voiceover about, you know, I, I, he'd be too old to do anything. He'd be younger than me, and you know, the, so that sets it up for the audience. That, like, if you think twenty years is a long time, it's it's not it's not ancient. Kids, people in their forties can still be dangerous, and that's yeah, sort of the, the right? theme of it. Yeah, exactly. But you need to say that for the nineties audience and for the I audience guess, that's yeah. named that. And then they do the voiceover bit and. You know, I like the fact that they don't bother to explain where he's been for 20 years. You know, just that line in there about nobody being found. Well, and, man, we don't need to explain it, I don't think, right? Well, I mean, when they've tried to explain it in this series, look at what's been explained. <laughs> so, he's been captured by a man in black, <laughs> yeah, a gunslinger. <laughs> yeah, like there's there's that. There's, you know, he's hanging out in the basement. Yeah, when they, they over-explain this thing. It's just, it's it, it blows it up because it's yeah. not built to be over-explained. Carpenter was right about one thing, that beyond trying to make her and him related, which was sort of a late-night you know, Hail Mary uh, on his part. There wasn't anything left to tell after that first one. It was just the guy that stalked the babysitters and killed them. And, yep. you know, so the simpler we can make this, the better, and they're better for it. And I like the way the first act opens, and then we get to this nice little dream, nightmare, nice little callback to the first film, you know, with the the music cues and the pictures and stuff and the knife stuck in her desk, and then she wakes up and she's freaking out. Yeah. Welcome back, Laurie Strode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. You know, I mean, it, I think it's it's good. I like the way that they they have this that she's still haunted by all this. I mean, who wouldn't be? Yeah. Right. When your family, your brother kills your your uh, sister, your parents are dead. He's trying to kill you. I mean, who wouldn't be affected by that? And who wouldn't have nightmares 
yes. after all that, right? Especially in the days leading up to, to Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I like that. It plays to it, you know? I mean, for me, my, my worst days are at the end, you know, right around Memorial Weekend when my brother died, right? right. I, right. I don't like those days. I can understand why she wouldn't like Halloween. <laughs> it makes complete sense that the nightmares would come on heavily then. She would probably drink heavier then and all that stuff. So I thought they set it up really well to introduce her back because she's exactly like you would imagine someone who's been through that trauma would be scarred, you know? It, mm -hmm. it makes complete sense. Functioning, but scarred. You're yes. right. The dutiful son who's there to you know wake her up out of it, get her her pills, but is also close enough with her to go, Mom, we're done with that. We don't have to keep talking about that. She's functioning because the rest of the year she doesn't have to worry about it. It's that Halloween time where she fears he's coming back, right? Right. I guess you can use that as a trigger that maybe some of the events of four through six happened because Halloween is when he always strikes. And that would make sense why she would fear Halloween more than the anniversary date type thing. But, um, you know, she could be a functioning alcoholic based on the fact that 360 days of the year, she's not too worried, but those five days leading up to Halloween, she freaks out. Right, right. I mean, yeah, she, she could be losing it but i kind of got the sense that this was sort of an ongoing constant thing with her you know that it just it yeah, was, it it was be. A, it had been a part of her life for so long and and she at times would say okay we're done with this and then would revert back to it and the son had seen that and i mean you know we get this line about you know dad's really out of the picture because he sends his son a birthday card a couple months late right right and yeah all this stuff and he wants to go on this trip to yosemite and she's like no you know you're not you're not going you know you want to go Camp and I'll hang out with you. She's she's super protective of him, and he's trying to be Mister Independent. And you know they have this whole bit about you know well you know your dad, dad would let me go. Well yeah you know your dad's a loser. So, and she, and, and, he, and he, <laughs> he he gets her back too with the yeah and he left you. Imagine that you know right, so, right. which is well, kind of messed up. But yeah. it gives I like the little back and forth between her and Josh Hartnett because mm -hmm. scarily enough they look. Like, well, he looks like he could come from her, which is sort of True. strange. Yeah. You know, I just had never noticed that. That's until, good casting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at, at first I thought, who? I don't even know who this guy is when you know, and I saw his cast list. And then when I saw him in the movie, I was like, gosh, it looks like, you know, it could have been her kid, which is sort of scary. Yeah. Now, I like the, the, the interactions between them as well, because it's, it's typical. He's supposed to be, I believe, 17 in this film. Yep. And so it's typical of that age when you've got a, a mother who's tr been sheltering their kid all this time to want, number one, want their independence because they're close to being out of the house anyway. And number two, to get in arguments with mom, especially when mom drinks a lot or we're led to believe she has an alcohol problem. Um, you know, so it's, it's typical. And I like that they, they play that off each other because, you know, this kid's lived 17 years of his life in the shadow of his mom's brother trying to kill her mm -hmm. and failing and not returning for 17 years. So I, I, at 17, I'd be a little pissed off too. You know, let me do something. Let me go out and with my friends. I do have to say, however, what kind of a place has a field trip on Halloween? <laughs> And I mean, to Yosemite, I understand Yosemite is quite cold that time of year. It's not exactly <laughs> the time to go, but it's an excuse. You got to have an excuse to get people off the the 
plot or off the screen because you don't want it to be a populated town. The thing of the first one was it was a street with just a few houses and it it felt enclosed. And you want that same kind of feel, just a few people for the pickoff. And and, I mean, the body count's identical in this movie to the first one. So they they set it up that way purposely. So they needed some reason to get them out. But I'm fine with it. It's a private school. I'm like, it's probably like a private religious school. Maybe they don't celebrate the pagan holidays. I don't know. It could be. That's true. Yeah. I'm (laughs) I'm sort of retconning it a little bit there. But But then All Souls Day is coming up. So yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they could do that. So, yeah, who knows? You know, it's. (laughs) <laughs> it's convenient, sure, but it actually gives a plot point here, which we meet the rest of John's friends. Um, we got Molly, Sarah, Charlie, right out of WB Central Casting. Um, I mean, I think some of them actually were on those shows. And so, but I like them. I, I'll say Popular this. Popular people. I, I, think, you know? I think those kids represented kids of that age. I mean, I wasn't that far removed from high school at that point. I think I'd been at it like three years at that point. And, that, you know, I had friends like that. I mean, that it was people, the way people talked, the way they acted, and the way, more importantly, the way Kevin Williamson identified with 90s teens and the way he wrote them. It feel You can feel that influence on them, if nothing else, in this film. I agree. I, I liked the casting. I, th- I thought they were all good. And I, I agree, you can definitely relate especially if you're a t- you know this is 1998 correct right when this came out so i would have been you know around 19 years old so i would have been right around their age right so all the things that happened <laughs> yeah <laughs> makes sense too but um i, I like the casting i think at the, that time of the, they had a lot of people the only guy i didn't really care for um, as far as the casting goes is LL Cool J and I think he did a fine job yeah but really well <laughs> but anyway. yeah I, I question why we even need him there I mean I know well, he's there to open his character the makes the sense right his character makes sense from a couple angles because that's a private school, so you have to have someone there to make sure security is good. I mean, this is a highly secured school, obviously, with all the guards that they have. Oh, wait. No, never mind. <laughs> but it's a secured school, so you got to have someone to open the closed door. And it's a perfect guy to have as a setup kill, which ironically never – I don't think he does get killed. No, he, you think end. he gets shot, but then at the end, the bullet just grazes me, and he's, he lives and explodes. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. LL told him he'd come back for the sequel. So that, yeah. that's oh boy, know. yeah, <laughs> yeah. They replaced him with someone cooler. <laughs> <laughs> you just called Busta Rhymes cooler than LL Cool J. You Mama's obviously didn't hear the sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. No. Anyway, you know, I thought the casting was done well. Um, you know, was Josh Hartnett really that popular at this point in time? Because I know he got popular afterwards. No, no this was his first film. Like, this okay, was, yeah, because he breakout for him. He so, went yeah. on to do Pearl Harbor. I think was his big yep. hit after this and and a couple other things and then he got kind of really big so it was kind of cool the rest of them i don't really recall much were they really popular on the wb you said jody lynn o'keefe has done a lot of tv i don't know adam you know bird i don't know him that well michelle williams you know is a a really okay i know yeah she's yeah she's uh, a heath ledger yeah Uh, okay Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but among other things, but she's you know real respected actress and things. I don't know. Again, I don't. I don't remember um, 
if uh, Adam Hanberg went on and did much else, I don't remember him. But I've seen Jodie Lynn O'Keefe and other stuff too. I, you know, but I always remember her as oh yeah, she was the the girlfriend in the uh, the film. Though oddly enough, my wife had a, a grand observation. She's like, "There's no way a girl that cute would be with a dude that dorky." I don't care if it was <laughs> the Cronsonies. You never that. know. This is a private school. There's probably not a lot of options. <laughs> well, and yeah, that is a good point. So maybe maybe so. But at any rate, and um, mom is a teacher, so she might have better standing. No, no, no. I'm not talking about Molly and John. I'm talking about the oh. dark-headed chick with the little dark-headed wormy guy. Like, oh, that's no right. Well, yeah. Well. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> point, point being, we've got these, this, we need the cast of the youth, and, and we spend a lot of time on them, and I'm actually okay with most of it. I think, again, Josh Hart is pretty good, and, and I, I think I buy them as friends with each other and all the stuff when they sneak out to town to go get the liquor for the night that they're going to have and stuff. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know. I, I like it. But I, I, what I really enjoyed was that scene is being juxtaposed against Carrie and her love interest in this. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, what'd you make of uh, Adam Arkin? The kind of the I remember him from Chicago Hope, the other uh, hospital yeah, show. ER, right? <laughs> I think he's been on other stuff like that. You see, I don't know. I kind of like the fact that he's I mean, he plays the role of the school counselor and stuff, but he's really her counselor because she slowly but surely opens up to him, and I mean, eventually she tells him the whole story. Right. Uh, I liked I liked his character a lot. Actually, I thought it was good to have her have a distraction as well. Right. I mean, cause that's really what he, I mean, love interest, yes, and, and distraction. It makes sense that she would slip, it would slip her mind some of the things that end up happening, right? Yes. Because she's distracted by this guy. And I thought he played a really good character and did a really good job here. And I, I like their interaction, the fact that they're trying to hide it, but it looks like, you know, the secretary knows and <laughs> other people may know that they're yes. in a relationship, right? I mean, did you get that feeling? I got that feeling that she knew exactly what was going yeah, on. Uh, no, I did not. That is, that is Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Uh, oh. The late Janet Lee, also known as the lady from the shower scene in Psycho. So, uh, Interesting. That's, that's another Kevin Williamson touch to have all these referencing points back and forth in the film. So Very cool. Yeah. So I, anyway, but yeah, I, I'm with no, you. I liked, I, I liked his character. Yeah, I agree. I think she knows what's up. And I liked him, too. I thought he was fine for what he's asked to do. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he gets killed, and that's you know kind of it. But I, I don't know. I, I liked him as the audience that she could tell the story to, essentially. You know, mm-hmm. Let's hear her point of view of it. We've never heard that. And I like the scenes where she gets to do that. One of them is in the, the restaurant downtown at lunch. Like, she's guzzling wine, you know, by the glass and stuff. And meanwhile, her son is trying to, you know, score some wine so he can score with his uh, girlfriend along the way. And I love how she catches them, sends the one kid back to the car, and then unloads on him. I mean, she loses her shit on him in the middle of that town. But but it makes sense, because she is completely paranoid. She's already told him that he can't leave. She's already pissed off at LL Cool J for letting him (laughs) leave a couple times, in which he has explained to him that uh, he can't get caught anymore because he might lose his job. Yet he still is able, lets him go. His, his job, where let's just say it, he's talking <laughs> on the phone to his wife, reading his cheesy Harlequin romance novels to her uh, that he's writing. <laughs> yeah, his uh, yes. his yeah softcore romance novel. <laughs> um, 
but but you know it makes sense to me that she's out and about uh, they're having lunch right uh, her and Adam right. ca- Adam's character they're having lunch and she runs into him on the street as he's trying to gather stuff for their little soiree that they're planning instead of going to uh to the Yosemite with the rest of them and it makes sense to me that she would lose her 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 uh lose it on him you know it makes sense completely because she's already told him he's not allowed to leave she, at this point, she hasn't allowed him to go to Yosemite yet. Um, so he's just getting ready to stay back, which is what he thinks he's going to have to do anyway. And yeah, so to see him out and about, she number one gets pissed off at him, and then number two gets pissed off at LL, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> well, I, I love the way, though, that he came back at her about like all this stuff that's going on in your head about your dead yeah. brother is coming off on me and I can't take it. You know, it's like you're going to have to loosen up. And I, you know, and she sees in that that, like, you know what? He's right because ultimately she relents. Like, you know, after his last class, she's like, hey, you can go ahead and go to Yosemite. And he's like, damn. Well, I think that. <laughs> I think that uh, I think that the uh, that guy character ha- helped her decide that that was the proper thing to do. Oh, you think so? I do. I mean, I, I think that he had a conversation saying, you know, hey, you know, you gotta let, give him a little freedom, and of course, she sees everything going on. I think there was a, a few elements that helped her do that because had it just had none of that happened and she had caught him outside the school, there's no way she would have just been like, oh, okay, you can go. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's very, it's very so sudden I, that she changes her mind. But all that I, is to yeah. set up the fact that he, you know, she's going to think he's one place and he's actually somewhere else, and that creates part of the chase tension in the third act. Yeah, yeah. Well, and why wouldn't it? Number yeah, exactly. One. Which, which is what we want. I mean, it, this film is building. Like I said, it's paced to be very similar to that first one, almost identical to it. And in, you watch that first one, everything leads up to when he finally starts killing and knocking off people and to get her to wander through that house and find all the dead bodies. And I mean, that's the same kind of thing they're trying to set up here is him versus mm-hmm. her one-on-one and they're building to it. And I, again, this movie's very fleet. It's It's got stuff in it, but it's moving. But along this way, I mean, that's the thing is she drives back to town with the kids and gets out on LL and all that stuff and outside the gate is the car Michael has stolen and two yeah, things have happened here. we, we got to talk about this here though because and this is why I say they really ignore part two because the one thing we noticed about part two was that Michael killed everybody mm-hmm. right in his way in this movie he's only targeting very specific folks the nurse the two kids next door that were sort of helping her look out for her house he broke into along the way his car breaks down or something and he's at a rest stop um not far from this school and he mm-hmm. waits on this lady to go into the bathroom and steals her car but doesn't kill her you know and yeah. later on he's stalking outside the gate you're waiting to break in and get LL, but he doesn't kill LL. He just sort of stands around him. I thought that was an interesting choice. Well, he has a focus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he knows what he wants to take care of. Right. He wants Laurie Strode. And, you know, if someone gets in his way of completing that, well, then they're in big trouble. However, he's pretty tunnel vision on her. I don't think he kills the, the lady because she has a kid with him. Is that with her. Okay, that's interesting. I think so because I don't think he's ever been one other than after Jamie Lloyd. <laughs> well, again, we're, not, we're ignoring that. Remember? Yeah. So. so I don't think he's one to kill kids. So yeah. um, we'll just go with the fact that he leaves her. He lets her go because of the kid. Um, 
which is very nice of him. <laughs> but uh, serial killer for not murdering me while right, I have my towel yeah. on the toilet. I mean, it's very generous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, as far as LL goes, you know, LL was fine. He he wasn't even looking for him, um, other than LL coming after him, and then that LL gets hurt. But uh, yeah, he's tunnel vision to find Laurie Strode. He's now knows she's alive. He now knows where she is. He's going after her. And then as far as, you know, what happens with the other kids and he ends up killing the friends of, uh, of, um, of her kid. I think that's really just casualties of war (laughs) in the fact that, uh, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, the way, the way they get set up too, like they're left hanging around rafters and stuff there for her to be able to find again, it's that same Mm -hmm. thing. I'm going to leave this trail of bodies, for you to find and then you're going to know it's me and you know, then, then I'll kill you then it's the same thing, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I well, like- and I think that maybe he goes after them too, because, uh, uh, John, you, John is the son of Laurie Strode, which means they're related. So he now has to kill him as well. He's got this thing about killing his family. Well, see, I don't, I don't think they're even playing with that again. I mean, I, I think it, I, you know all that again is stuff from parts four through six, and really part six in, in particular. Yeah. Th- that, I don't think they're going with that at all. I think it's more of the I'm going to kill everybody close to you so that you are in complete and total pain and just wigging out so that I can take you out. Like I weaken yeah, you that- and then I kill you because that's what happens. Like you know. He goes after. Well, what happens is John comes up. He basically just throws away the excuses mom gives him. He hides. The two girls were staying anyway. Charlie doesn't turn in some kind of assignment, so he gets to stay. They have their little Halloween soiree, and mm-hmm. Charlie and his girlfriend get off in the kitchen at different times. And we didn't even see Charlie get killed. He just, you know, his girlfriend finds him. And this kill is brutal to me because this girl starts going up one of those little dumbwaiter elevator things, mm-hmm. and then he cuts the rope and it smashes her leg like hanging loose from yeah. you know, the, that was pretty grotesque and then cuts her to ribbons and i mean just stabs her through the floor almost it's pretty brutal kill yeah it was pretty nasty i and yeah you know that those two are the, the now uh john and his girlfriend they get out right Right, John and Molly are left then, and because they go looking for those two, they find them, find and then, of, them, course, yeah. of course, here he comes, and then that puts them on the run. Yeah, you know? and in the meanwhile, Laurie is in her, <laughs> you know, apartment or whatever house with uh, Will, the the would be boyfriend, and telling him about you know this story about this guy who you know, kills his sister and gets out of the middle yeah. institution and goes after another one, blah, blah, blah. Have you ever heard the story? Oh, yeah, who has it? Michael Myers. Whatever happened to the girl, though? Didn't she die? Nope, she faked her death, and now she runs a posh school in California. And he mm. looks at her like, oh, oh, really? And she's like, so now you want a drink? Yeah, I think I'll have one. You know, but yeah, you know, she's, I, tell, she's telling the story uh, to him and relates that to him. And I thought that was a big moment for her to, to finally open up and tell somebody. You got the sense that she hadn't told anybody that story in a long time. Yeah, I, I I liked it. I thought it was really good, and like you said, he was a good character to be the one to to tell the story uh, mm-hmm. on, you know. And it made sense. And you know, she was feeling very comfortable with him, obviously, and uh, you know, decided to come clean. And I think the part of it was the fact that she really likes this guy. Yeah. And if she's going to ever be in a relationship with this guy, he needs to know the truth, right? Because he can't lie. You know that that that'll eat you up. 
And so I think that's a lot to do with it. I really, really enjoyed the chase scene with, uh, with John and Molly and Michael Myers. Yes. I thought they did an awesome job, but the best part was when they got to mom's door and knocked on the door and she looks out and sees his face. Jamie Lee Curtis played that so well, that just sheer horror Mm -hmm. at seeing this face again. Exactly. Yep. I loved it. I thought they did. She did a great job there. And that whole scene was just done very well. Well, That whole chase is great. Molly and John are getting chased and they're like throwing rocks at Michael and hitting him in the face. He stabs. I think he stabs John in the leg. And so they're Mm -hmm. running. And we we get this thing that Molly's got keys to like, you know, the different places because she works on campus or something like that. And they get in this fence behind um, where right before the door where, um, him and Laurie live and they shut the gate, but they drop the keys. And so he tries to slash him through the gate, can't get them, then stops and picks up the keys and starts fumbling through them one at a time, trying to open that door. Right. And like, I, I remember in the theater going, man, and like hearing the row behind me go, Oh shit. <laughs> you know? right? Like it was just that <laughs> moment. It's like, Oh shit. He can open the door. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you know, the, the horror guy always just bust through the door. Like that's, you know, they don't ever bother with that, but th- he's got them pinned. Right. And of course, Laurie and will come to the rescue and get him in. And then, like you say, that, that showdown between the little porthole window uh, was amazing. And yeah. the, the oh, looks, yeah. and then of course he just ducks out of the way as Michael's want to do. And, uh, I don't know. I, I liked it, but then that sets us into really the climax of the film that goes, goes down for a good 20 minutes here, the way that she and him are going to go at each other. And it, it starts off with the fact that Will gets Laurie's gun and thinks he sees Michael coming around the corner and shoots, and he, uh-huh. he shoots LL. Yeah. So, and he's like, oh, what oh. Have I done? And then, of course, out of the shadows comes Michael, who does the, I guess, a little callback to part two with the nurse when he hits him with that butcher knife and then picks him up. Oh, uh, yeah. That was pretty. That was a pretty grotesque and brutal kill. It was, and it, wasn't it right in front of uh, Oh, it was right as in front well? of all three yeah. of them. Yeah, they're just yeah. sitting there watching that, yeah. So, but yeah, but she gets the kids away. She's able to you know, knock him down, get him out of the way. They finally get to the car. I love how she hits him with that axe. I was like, mm-hmm. that was pretty awesome. He just drops it, you know? Um, it was, it's pretty amazing. She finally gets them to the car, though, and I love how she, at the gate, has that moment of pause and decides, I'm going to go back and finish this. I'm not going to run away anymore. It's me and him. So he, she sends the kids away. She goes back hunting him down with that axe. And I don't, I love that moment of her standing in the street and just screaming his name as the music plays. Mm-hmm. I liked it too. I mean, it, it, it put that one scene that we talked about earlier where she's talking about the Frankenstein and confronting the demons yep. in a perspective and brought it to this movie. Mm-hmm. She decides after sending off the children to be safe that it's time that this confrontation went down. Whatever happens, if I die or he dies, I'm going to give it my best to kill this motherfucker, right? Right. He's got to go down. It's it's me or him finally, once and for all. And Yeah, I and I love it. That's perfect. That's the character. She needs to face this demon, and that mm-hmm. setup is paid off right there, and I, and I love that part of it. Yeah, it's great. And I love how he's, you know, she's looking for him and he lowers himself down behind her. That was in the trailers for this. And I thought, oh, that's going to be an awesome scene. And it was because she wheels around and just buries that axe in his chest. Mm-hmm. And all he does is grab it and drop it. And I love that shot of it just sort of thunk right into the floor. And he keeps coming after her. 
And yeah. uh, Mustafa Akkad is to thank for the flipping of the table scene uh, before she hits him with the flagstaff because <laughs> they were going to do that in part four in the schoolhouse. And they, they just didn't have time to get it to work right. And they were trying to set up the scene. And he said, hey, remember we were going to do that with the other kid? Why don't you do that here and have Ugh. him flip the tables over and come after her? And I thought that's a great idea. It's a, it adds but, intensity to the scene. Yeah, and I like the foreplay before it, too, where he was trying to find which table she was under on top of it and stabbing right. through and all that stuff. And then finally just says, screw this. What am I doing? Yeah. And then starts flipping over. I like that. I thought it was a good setup. And then finally he just gets frustrated and says, what am I doing? Yeah. And what <laughs> and I, so I thought it was cool. And what I love is ultimately she comes at him on top of the balcony again with like multiple knives, stabbing, 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 slicing, stabbing, until she knocks him off and he's down for the count, we think. Yeah. Right. right. And I, I'll be honest with you. Like, I remember watching this movie in the theater again and going, why is that it? That going to be it? And I was like, surely no. not. And I was like, no, there's there's time left on the clock here. I I knew this movie was short. I knew it wasn't going to be that short. I was like, no, nah, they're going to come up with something else. And then, well, and if they if they had gone with that as the ending, it would have been so lame because we've already had this happen. He's already fallen off a building and he's already done this and that and survived. That shouldn't have done anything. So, you know, they played it off like he's dead and they're body, they're body bagging him and all this other crap. And you're which, just n- knowing that that's not the end. Which, by the way, they're body bagging him and they leave the mask on. <laughs> so. Again, that makes no sense. <laughs> yes, that is true. But that's something that they've done throughout this whole franchise. So, yeah. You just have to go with it. But yeah, I mean, come on. He's, if he's truly dead, you would take that thing off and then find out he's not because he wouldn't let you do that. But either way. Just kind yeah, of silly. But what did you make of the fact that she's like not buying it and she basically had no oh, point steals She the knows better than to, to think that he's gone, right? Yeah. And she knows that's going to take a lot more than some knives and a fall from a top of a building for him to, to succumb, right? Mm. So I thought it was brilliant that she didn't give that a second thought that she's like, okay, no, you're, you, you guys are dumb. I'm taking this over and it's, um, I'm just going to take him away. <laughs> and a pretty crazy thing happens. I mean, she waits for him to get up out of the body bag as she's speeding down the mountain trail. And then she has a, she basically slams on the brakes to throw him out the car. Yep. And then runs him over. And that's a pretty crazy wreck going down that uh, side of that hill, man. That was awesome. I liked it. But yeah. it's like a, it's, it's kind of a callback too. Uh, to one of the other films where he kind of, where they put him down the, the mine shaft, you know, they run him yeah, over. Yeah, that part and, four, yeah, the end of part yeah. four, yeah. So, but obviously this one was done much better. I yeah, but, but I love how he ends up pinned against the thing and she's thrown out of the vehicle too, but yeah. is aware enough to get that axe, walk up to him, and then, like, the strangest thing, he, like, tries to relate to her. In some way, yeah, he holds right. out his hand to her or whatever, and for like a a few seconds there, she's like, you know, touched by this until she realizes, wait a minute, <laughs> who he's who just is playing this? with my emotions, right? Yeah, and then I one of the coolest moments I've ever had in a film viewing experience when she rears back, chops the head off, and that music starts. I mean, that is so well done. And I'll tell you what, Jay, when that happened, when I was watching, I was like, finally, someone with some freaking sense <laughs> to actually do something that's going to kill him. I mean, you disembody him like that and you cut his head off. That's got to be a good way to kill him. 
Right. Because nothing else works. Fire? No. Gunshots to the head? No. Knives? Mm-mm. Falling off a two-story building? No. Falling off another building? Ain't gonna happen. So there's only one way to do this. Mutilate the fucking body. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, I, I go back to the original script that like a helicopter crashes and cuts him up like Mission Impossible style or well, something. So they were like, that would have that would have been that, weird. It would have been odd, but it would have made sense for him to be dead but, after that. The point was that Jamie Lee Curtis told Kevin Williamson and the producers that I'll come back and do this, but I I want him dead. I want him DEA dead at the end of this thing. And they said, well, okay, but uh, if we decide to do another one, can we have you for four minutes, you know, or something? And she said, yes, sure. I'll do a cheesy cameo because I know you'll never stop. And Mustafa (laughs) Khan was the one that told Williamson, do not do this. I do not like this ending. So he wrote another one, apparently, that was less emphatic, but never turned it in. (laughs) So all the director knew was cut his head off at the end of it. And uh, anyway, it was was quite... um, it's quite climactic, though. I mean, he's pretty emphatic. Oh, yeah. And I'll be honest with you, as a Halloween fan and fan of the series, who've been following this thing for a long time, I thought, well, what a way to end it. I mean, mm-hmm. the, wow, how cool would that have been? And I, exactly. Yeah, that was great. Did great I thought end. so, too. I thought it was perfect. Yeah. So this was how it should have been done in the first place, right? Right. You, you cut off the guy's head, you cut the snake's head off, the snake's dead. Right. You make it definitive. You know, if, yep. if you want to do this, and I, you know, again, a strong outing. Well, I think it, it'll be pretty clear, but I'm, I'm really interested in hearing your reasons, Brian. Final thoughts, popcorn uh, ratings for Halloween H two O twenty years later. Well, I think, like I said earlier, I mean, this movie was paced extremely well. It may have been short. It didn't feel short to me. It felt like it had no filler. All substance, everything that happened happened for a reason, and the 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 climax of the film was absolutely fantastic. I enjoyed the crap out of it. Um, I thought finally someone smart enough to really take care of Michael Myers, mm-hmm. and I loved having Jamie Lee Curtis back, especially after the garbage we got in five and six. Um, it was nice to have her back to bring back the memory of what was so good about one and two. And so for me, this is a large popcorn, extra large popcorn, actually. This is also my favorite of the series so far. The first one to me is, is classic, and you will you can never touch it. But this is as close as they've ever gotten again. I liked the second one a lot for a sequel. I, I think I said that was a very passable, fun-to-watch, enjoyable sequel. This one, though, is heads above that. Uh, just a fantastic, fun ride and a different take on the Halloween. I mean, it is it is different for all that it pays homage to and paces itself like and stuff. This is a very different, certainly influenced by a specific time in horror history kind of film. But it's very good and it's very fun to watch. And Jamie Lee Curtis makes this thing. She really does. So I'm going to join you in that bucket of extra large popcorn, my friend. I think this is a strong, strong entry in the series. And again, I thought it was over. At this point, I thought, well, they're going to do another one. And then they did. And we'll talk about that next time when we reconvene here. So thanks for joining us on this latest episode of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our podcast website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Links to all of our podcast ventures there for you. Hook up with us on Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. We appreciate your support. Till next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank <laughs> you.
Thank you for listening to our Halloween retrospective series. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes, like our Facebook page, and visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies, for more episodes. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of its respective owners and is used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504, C2, Title 17.